This is The Guardian. Today, jumping fences at the Grand National, dropping powder bombs in the snooker. Why is sport a growing target for protesters? Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. First, it was the Grand National. It's a race that will be remembered not just for the winner, but the drama off the course too. In terms of raising awareness of the cruelty involved in, in horse racing, you know, we can only, we can only call this a success. And, and then came the snooker. A just stop oil protester jumped on the snooker table and unleashed a wave of orange-type powder, goodness knows. Now the organisers of this weekend's London Marathon worry that their race will be next. Doing this and interrupting events, and potentially now they're talking about interrupting the London Marathon, ruining people's days, is absolutely the wrong thing to do. It's utterly deplorable. Activists are going viral for staging eye-popping protests at Britain's biggest sporting events. They've prompted fury, debate, and enough disruption to get themselves arrested. But now they have public attention for their cause. Can they bring public support with them? From The Guardian, I'm Nashi Nikbal. Today in Focus, is Britain ready for a summer of sporting protest? Sean Ingle, you're the chief sports reporter at The Guardian, so you're not usually tasked with covering protests, but Saturday was different. Can you describe to me what happened? Well, we were sat in the press room at the Grand National Aintree, waiting for Britain's biggest steeplechase to begin. We're live at Aintree Racecourse, where we expect the 175th running of the Grand National to get underway in 10 minutes. John Hunt. The Grand National is sort of seen as Liverpool's day, so there are 70,000 people there. People go along, they dress up, men in their proper three-piece suits, women in their very posh frocks. And there's a lot of drinking, there's a lot of eating, there's a lot of celebrating. Absolutely fantastic. You, can't, you cannot beat this Grand National Day. And it's great with the weather, isn't it, as well? That's why I wore the shirt and my hat and glasses today. Where suddenly the canvas cut. Now, in the distance, we've seen a huge police presence. We've seen some protesters try and break through the fences. So we saw dozens of activists from the animal rights group Animal Rising clambering over the fence. Now, police activity right the way around the perimeter of this great Grand National Race course with uh, seemingly protesters at all angles. And it ended up causing a, a 14 minute delay. There were widespread arrests, 118 in total. The last of the protesters being carried away by five or six police officers. So they've breached the security, but at the moment. So, why have the protest group Animal Rising chosen to target the Grand National? 
Well, I mean, the first point to say is that the, the Grand National is Britain's biggest horse race. Millions watch it every year. Uh, but it's also the most dangerous. There's about 1% of horses will, will die over the last few years. So it's, it's, it's a high number. So that's an obvious an opportunity there. Millions watching on telly. But when I spoke to analysing spokesperson Nathan McGovern, he said the point for us isn't just the national. It's, it's the fact that we're using animals for our entertainment. And he said to me, whether it's over the jumps on the flat or in a bacon sandwich, there's very little difference as far as we're concerned. And what exactly is it that the protesters did? Well, um, their plans were to stop the race and they weren't able to do that but they were able to delay it for 14 minutes. Two of them came very close to gluing and bolting themselves onto the fences, which I think would have, would have ended the race. However, the police, and it has to be said, some, some of the crowd as well, as well as security guards, were stopping the protesters getting onto the track and rugby tackling them. And so, yeah, we, there were, it was a delay, but we did actually uh, start the race about 14 minutes late. Sean, one horse did actually die during that race, and two had died in races earlier that week. Do we know what happened there? Well, the horse itself was called Hill 16, and uh, there was some very harrowing video posted on social media. The horse comes up for the first fence, clobbers it, lands, and seems to be dead instantly. It was awful to see those images, and it does seem to have proved the protesters' point to an extent. What did the race organisers have to say? Well, they said, they said it's no secret that this race faced added pressures. They thanked the Merseyside Police and Security Services for their support. And they, they praised them for, quote-unquote, delivering a robust operation to ensure those who tried to overstep their right to peacefully protest wouldn't succeed. Sean, it's not just the races, is it? I mean, on Monday evening, there was a protest at another sporting event for the sake of a different cause, this time at the World Snooker Championship in Sheffield. What happened there? Well, we were just minutes into a first-round match between uh, Robert Milkins and Joe Perry. An inch up, further up the table, he's slightly hampered on this red. When a Just Stop Oil activist suddenly... Oh. Charged into the plane area and threw a packet of orange powder over a, a, a table. It was extraordinary. The images of this guy who's got his fist in the air, he's roaring, he's a bit like you know, William Wallace in Braveheart. Not something that we entirely predicted, um, but these things are happening with increasing regularity. Um, the players are all leaving the arena, as you can tell. Uh, meanwhile, on commentary, um, the uh, former world champion Stephen Hendry was wondering about whether the table would ever recover. And a, I mean, a massive so you, task. You, well, you just hope that the cloth can be so, recovered from that. I mean, do you get? I don't know. Do you get the Hoover out? I don't know. Just, ha, what, uh, it's obviously uh, it's hard to tell what that material mm. that is on the cloth. Which, um, given the state of the planet and global warning, seemed a, a little bit wider the mark too. Well, why snooker? Did Justin Paul explain why that was the event that they targeted? Well, you're right. It's not immediately obvious. Um, they did uh, have a statement afterwards where they uh, they said that the protest was to demand the government immediately stop all new UK fossil fuel projects. But they also called on UK sporting institutes to step into, quote-unquote, civil resistance against the government's genocidal policies. And I guess whatever your view on this, expecting snooker players and, and administrators to suddenly... Uh, Join any civil uh, resistance against climate change is probably overly optimistic. 
Sean, what was the wider reaction like beyond the snooker world? But the Just Stop Oil idiots uh, raised their heads again yesterday. Uh, you'll see a well, I think it has got everyone, everyone talking. I mean, looks a complete plank, absolute plank. Uh, some of the news channels over here, it's not just the, the, the likes of GB News and Talk TV. It's gone absolutely mainstream on, on all the major channels. We're not silly. The British public are not silly. We know that opening the first call I, 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 I think you are lamentably not, silly to jump on a, I think you're lamentably silly not, to jump on a snooker table and cover opening, it in orange dye, by the way. Animal Rising do a lot of work protesting against factory farming and the like. However, they could have done that this weekend and no one would have taken a blind bit of notice. You know, these groups know that when you do target these major sporting events, it's not just you know the act and and the, and the sort of the initial sort of coverage on the news. It's the sort of two or three or four days afterwards where we're all talking about it. So in that respect, it's clearly worked. Damien Gale, you're an environment correspondent for the Guardian, and you've been covering climate justice groups like Just Up Oil for quite some time now. When a group like that does these kinds of stunts, like they did at the snooker the other night, that, you know, disrupt everyday people's lives, can you tell me what goes into a stunt like the one we saw at the snooker this week? So Just Stop Oil have um, have been active for about a year now. They began their campaign on uh, April the 1st last year, uh, and their campaign initially was targeting oil infrastructure. And their whole philosophy was they wanted to go into civil resistance against the very things that they were opposing, which was the infrastructure and the economy that are giving rise to the fossil fuels that are causing climate breakdown. But before they began that campaign, they did a few similar protests to this at football matches. My name's Louis McKechnie. I'm 21 years old and I'm a mechanical engineering student. I'm about to disrupt a football match and I'm terrified where you had activists running onto the pitch and zip-tying themselves by their necks to the goalpost. People were furious, obviously. You know, you ran onto the pitch and people were furious. The game had been stopped. You can imagine a, a stadium full of tens of thousands of football fans, how they would respond to that kind of behaviour. But um, it got them the attention that they were looking for. And that's, I think, what they're doing now. And often these protests are very badly received by the great majority of the general public. People don't want to see big sporting events disrupted in general. But for the activists, they don't care really whether people hate them or love them as long as their message is getting on the agenda. Yeah. So why, why go further and do that? Well, firstly, just to get everyone up to speed, yeah. as you're well aware, the cost of living crisis and the climate crisis have both been brought about in large part due to our dependence on fossil fuels. Yeah. So what Just Up Oil is calling for is no new licensing or consents for any fossil fuel expiration in the UK. But it's, it's quite curious, isn't it? I mean, you say it's quite clear that they're not looking to gain any fans and they're not looking for people to love them. They don't care either way. They simply want the message on the agenda. But surely for people to care about the message, they need to warm to how the message was delivered. Um, and, and, you know, if people are naturally inclined to think, I hate these guys, they've ruined my evening of sport, they're less inclined to listen to the message at hand. I'm guessing that's uh, a calculation that they've made, really. Uh, 
you'll get a few blowhards on social media and calling into talk radio stations. But I think it's quite widely accepted by most people that we do need to do something about the climate crisis. And the only problem that activists have or those people who want to draw attention to the issue have is keeping that at the forefront of people's minds. So you mentioned that they have changed tactics halfway through the middle of last year from targeting just fossil fuel based industries to these bigger attention grabbing actions. Do you know what changed in that period and when that calculation to change the strategy was made or why? When they began their campaign properly on the 1st of April last year, their aim at that point was to paralyse the supply of fossil fuels to the southeast, to the economic powerhouse of the country. And this campaign was almost, very almost successful. They've caused fuel shortages. There were fuel shortages at petrol stations around the Midlands and around the southeast. But it did not quite manage to achieve what it was that they wanted to achieve. And the government had to respond to that. And they responded by bringing in court injunctions, banning these protests, which allowed the authorities to to jail anyone for protesting within or outside specified areas, uh, in this case, oil terminals. And so the government were able to to shut down that form of protest. And um, dozens upon dozens of them uh, gained criminal charges. They very quickly realised that wasn't a form of protest they were were able to pursue anymore. And so they had to have a a stop and a rethink and and keep their name and their, their issue on the news agenda. They began targeting art galleries. Security. What is worth more, art or life? Is it worth more than food? And they got a lot of attention for that. And I think what they realised was that they they could get as much attention from doing that as they could from their oil terminal protests. So what makes a successful protest at this point from an activist point of view? There's a lot of disagreement about what makes the most successful protest. You have two kinds of protests, really. And, um, and, and this is something they articulated when they first um, began their campaign. They said to me at the time that they intended to move from civil disobedience into what they described as civil resistance. The the whole idea was that civil disobedience is drawing attention to something that they don't like. But civil resistance is actually going out and stopping what they don't like from happening. And so their initial campaign, they would have characterised as a, a civil resistance campaign, an attempt to stop the flow of petrol around the country. And it seems that they've reverted back to civil disobedience campaigns, which are these high-profile, disruptive protests, which get eyes on them and allow them to appear on on television programmes, Good Morning Britain, and debate with the hosts about what it is that they're doing and articulate their position. And what about sports specifically? Why are live sporting events so attractive to these groups? Live sporting events really are an open goal because... All eyes are already on them. When they go to stage a protest, an oil terminal, if they go to stage a protest on the M25, they need to get journalists there. They need to put the word out. Something's going to happen. You should probably come and be in this place. And you might something newsworthy might happen that you can put in your, in your paper and you can write a story about. And sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. These sporting events 
already huge media events. These sporting events already have tens of thousands of eyes on them and then millions more watching on television. And so simply by turning up and staging a protest, three quarters of the work of getting the attention they want has already been done. Sean, there is a long tradition of sport being used for protests. What have been the biggest moments in this history? I mean, there have been so many down the years, but I guess surely the biggest involved the US sprinters, Tommy Smith and John Carlos. Yesterday, they came in first and third in the 200-metre dash and then stood on the victory platform with bowed heads, wearing black socks and gloves in a racial protest. I was lucky enough to speak to both men last year and they sort of spoke about the harrowing times that followed that protest, but also some of the things that I think perhaps we'd all missed at the time, or those alive. The scarf that was worn around my neck signified blackness. Gian Carlos and me wore socks, black socks without shoes, to also signify our poverty. However, the, you know, the reaction in, in America at the time was largely negative. There were some boos in the stadium last night. But it's only really been in more recent years that perhaps people have recognised just what um, a brave and, and, and powerful statement they made. Sean, do these protests work and when have they been most successful? I mean, I guess to what it depends the time frame you put on this. Famously in the 1913 derby, Emily Walding Davison, who was a, a suffragette, she charged out in front of the king's horse. Uh, she ended up being hit by the horse and, and unfortunately died. But the actions of her and, and other suffragettes at the time, you know, are seen as sort of a, a turning point for the emancipation of women in the UK. And 1975... At Headingley, England had their one real chance to level the series. There was a cricket match in Headingley where intruders broke into the pitch, dug up the wicket. On the fifth morning, ground staff arrived to find the pitch gouged and oil poured over it. The match and etched the words, free George Davis, onto the turf. The culprits wanted to draw attention to the alleged wrongful imprisonment of George Davis. This was a guy who'd been convicted for armed robbery, which he said he hadn't done it. And um, the following May, he was actually released from prison after then Home Secretary Will Jenkins, who was alerted by a publicity, became convinced his conviction was unsafe. Do you think that the campaign to get you released from prison has been instrumental in this decision? Oh, yes, definitely, most definitely. Situation was Sean, are there some sports which are seen as particularly vulnerable to direct action? No, absolutely. I mean, racing is one. Um, uh, this summer, we have a couple of famous horse racing events. We have the Epsom Derby. Uh, we, have, we have Royal Ascot. Uh, and Epsom in particular has an area called the Hill where um, it's not ticketed. So you can turn up on the day. It's free entry and you get very close to the track. Horse racing tracks are often... in. You know, miles in, in, in the premises, miles around, so you cannot possibly police the whole area. Um, I would say that other sports, particularly, I guess, some of the big Premier League and England nationals, they, they often have a sort of ring of steel around the venue. So anyone that comes in, you're either not allowed a backpack or has to be very, very small or it's searched. And um, you often go through several layers of, of, of checks, so much harder to do anything there. That said, you know, it, it, it's, it's not impossible. Sean, you've been speaking to some of the people organising this weekend's London Marathon. It's one of the biggest annual events in the capital. It has around 40,000 runners taking part, tens of thousands of spectators on the streets. 
Are they preparing for the possibility of protesters? Um, I spoke to organisers yesterday and I described their mood as cautiously optimistic. Um, there is a big Extinction Rebellion protest this weekend in central London. However, they have been promised by the groups involved that they won't disturb the marathon. In fact, not only have they done that, they've also said they will help guard the event from any other potential demonstrators. That doesn't mean that other groups won't try, of course, and Mo Farah has urged them not to, though, given the London Marathon raises £58 million a year for charities and good causes. And what about the other highlights of the summer sporting calendar, like Wimbledon, FA Cup, Test Match Cricket? Are you expecting that we will see more protests this summer? Well, I think certainly the organisers are preparing for it. Um, most sports don't like to talk about specific security arrangements, but just phoning around and chatting to people on the background yesterday, pretty much all of them said it will be factored into the conversations we will have in, in the coming weeks and months. Coming up, how will protest movements shape our summer? Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Today in Focus is supported by BetterHelp. Here's a question. If you had an extra hour in your day, what would you do with it? Watch TV? Read a book? Meet up with a friend? Maybe a little nap? A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. But for what? Perhaps to best answer that, you need to work out what's truly important to you, then make that a priority. Therapy can help you work out what's most important to you. It isn't just for those who've unfortunately experienced trauma in their lives. Therapy can be helpful for learning positive coping skills and for setting boundaries. It can empower you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash todayinfocus today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash todayinfocus. Damien, it is the London Marathon on Sunday, and as Sean was telling us, there is also a huge rally planned in the capital by Extinction Rebellion. Now, they've not only said that they won't actually stage any kind of protest, but that they'll help guard the event from other protesters who might try to hijack it. What did you make of that? I think this says a lot about where Extinction Rebellion has gone over the past 18 months or so. 
you have these radical spin-off groups that have emerged, Animal Rebellion, Insulate Britain, Just Stop Oil, which have really creamed off the most hardcore elements within Extinction Rebellion and have taken on that role of real disruptive, annoying protest, for want of a better word. Um, and, and Extinction Rebellion have responded by this by becoming comparatively more moderate. You're not going to do that anymore. What, why the change of heart there? Well, I think the devil's in the detail. So we said at the start of the year we would not do things that were wholesale public disruption. So you've seen Just Stop Oil go and climb on gantries with the intention that that'll close a motorway. We said... We'll do things that disrupt where power lies. We'll go to the banks, the fossil fuel sector, the government, the pillars of power, the media, the judiciary even. We'll shine a light on the things that are keeping business as usual alive when we know it has to change. Um, They've reached out to a host of other groups for the protest that they've got planned this weekend, which is always supposed to be a coalition-building exercise anyway. And I think they, they knew that in order to build that coalition that they wanted... They couldn't maintain their commitment to disruptive direct action protests because they wanted to be able to reach out to people who wouldn't necessarily be comfortable with that. They can come out and say, look, we're the voice of reason now. You've got these nutters from Insulate Britain, from Just Apoil, who are going and and ruining sporting events and blocking roads and, and doing extreme things. But really, we're quite gentle, um, are willing to go out and... If you care about climate change, come and be a part of what we're doing. So very radical groups can encourage support for more moderate groups pushing for the same cause. You saw this in the civil rights area with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, which were were a more extreme group pushing for civil rights, coming out and, and staging their protests and actions. And, and when they did, they were very much hated and had very low levels of public approval. But at the same time, as they staged their actions, support for more moderate groups, such as the NAACP, increased. So people would say, oh, well, you know, I care very much about the issue of climate change and I keep seeing it being pushed onto the news agenda, but I can't support those those eco-yobs, those radicals, those lunatics in Just Stop Oil. But I might support Extinction Rebellion because they've come out and they said, oh, actually, we're going to take a pause on our disruptive protests and we're going to reach out across the political divide. As you say, the UK hasn't seen that kind of mass movement on the climate crisis since around 2019 when Extinction Rebellion first emerged. And at that time... Academics called it the fastest growing protest movement in the world. What's changed? I think for Extinction Rebellion, their initial big phase of protests in Easter 2019 was so successful that they were sort of beyond all the wildest dreams of the activists. They occupied five key junctions in central London for days on end and were able to create this incredible carnival-like atmosphere which drew so many passers-by in, in a way that was that was exciting and interesting and fun um, and something really different. And there was a certain sense of anarchic joy on the streets of London, the likes of which... I certainly have never seen. 
they drew so many people in and, and it was such an exciting event that the numbers just grew exponentially. But the problem was, is when they tried to repeat that protest in the autumn of that same year, the police, which had come under a lot of criticism politically for failing to shut down the protest more quickly that Easter, uh, they were ready for them. They were ready for them. They didn't allow them to get established in the same way. They they raided their warehouses beforehand, made sure that they got their hands on, on the protest equipment that they were planning to use. And then when people took to the streets, they had police from all over the country ready to to roll out and, and to to roll up all of these encampments straight away. And so I feel as though Extinction Rebellion have been caught in a sort of law of diminishing returns ever since that initial Easter 2019 protest. Do you think it's possible for Extinction Rebellion or for any other protest movement to gain that kind of traction again in the UK? And what would it take? It's going to take a huge level of innovation. We'll never see protests like the ones that Extinction Rebellion achieved in Easter 2019 again, I don't think, because because you need new ideas. You need to be able to catch um, the police and the authorities um, off guard, really, in order to achieve that kind of thing. But also, I feel as though there's a level of radicalism now within the climate activist movement that means that those kinds of joyful protests are no longer seen as enough. People feel the urgency of the climate situation that much more that they're looking for something more. They're looking for something. They're looking for something that's going to take more. Well, it's going to show how, how angry people are. Really, it's going to show how desperate people are. So, no, I don't. I don't think we'll see anything like that. But in order for there to be a, a mass movement behind it, yeah. You know, you, you need to find a way to capture people's imagination. You need to find a way to to draw the numbers in. And at the moment, um, it's not clear how that's going to happen. Certainly not going. We're certainly not going to find thousands of people who are willing to sit down in front of cars on the M25. That said, maybe not a mass movement, but do you expect that we will have a summer of protest demonstrations at big sporting events? I think that um, activist groups are going to continue to try to exploit these kinds of sporting events. The authorities are always playing catch up with these things and they do always find ways to catch up. And so I would imagine security at sporting events is going to be stepped up. My expectation though is that Just Stop Oil, they have something on the cards which they haven't revealed to us yet. So not just sports? Not just sports. No, no, no. I don't think it's going to be just sports. But I think, you know, if I was organising security for a sporting event, then one of the things I would be taking into account now is the likelihood that someone's going to come and try and zip tie their necks to the goalpost or climb on the on top of the bays of a snooker table and coat it with orange dust. Damien, thank you so much. Thanks, Nosheen. That was Damien Gale, environment correspondent for The Guardian, and Sean Ingle, our chief sports reporter. My thanks to both of them. You can read more on this story and follow reporting from Damien and Sean by heading to theguardian.com. Before you go, have you listened to Cotton Capital yet? The Guardian's major new podcast series is a moving, eye-opening look into how the transatlantic slave trade shaped The Guardian, shaped Manchester, and Britain. Episode 3 is out now, and it sees Deneen Brown head to the Sea Islands 
and speak to the direct descendants of enslaved people who picked the cotton that made the city of Manchester rich. Do find that and subscribe from wherever you listen to this podcast. And that's it for today. I'm Nasheen, and this episode was produced by Alex Atak. Sound design is by Solomon King. The executive producer was Phil Maynard. Have a lovely weekend. We'll see you on Monday. This is The Guardian. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart.